this is Tyler Hay, CEO of Evergreen GovCal. On today's Evergreen Exchange, we do a deep dive episode with a special guest, John Devine, Head of Global Operations for Facebook. We cover a variety of topics around the metaverse and hope that our listeners enjoy. Hey, listener, this episode requires an extra disclosure. All views and opinions expressed by any guest of the podcast are solely the individual's views and do not necessarily reflect the views of Evergreen GovCal. Evergreen GovCal's clients may hold securities mentioned in this podcast at any given time. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions or be considered investment advice. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Evergreen Exchange. Today, we have a special guest. It's John Devine, who works at I almost said Facebook, but there's a different name now. It's Meta. So, John, hey, thanks for joining us. Tyler, happy to be here. Good uh, way to catch yourself on that one. I'm still uh, making that mistake myself. So, <laughs> Well, um, John, you and I know each other outside of um, business, but for those that don't know you, if you wouldn't mind giving a little background, um, I think there's a submarine involved and stuff like that. So give a little color to the listeners. Yeah, I, th- I think of your... Um your listeners probably as Seattle oriented. So um, we do have a background that got, kind of goes through Seattle. I was, I was um, started my, you know, adult life and professional career as a Naval officer and was on submarines over um, in Bangor over uh, across the Puget Sound. And in the, in the course of doing that also ended up meeting my wife, Laurel, who's um, uh, also a common friend. And so, um, anyway, she grew up in that area and the Seattle area just became part of our, our personal lives. I, I was, uh, on submarines, uh, and in the Navy until I was 30 years old. So that was a, a, a major first chapter of my professional career. Uh, I left the Navy and joined McKinsey and, um, spent some time there in the Seattle office and a few of the other offices at McKinsey. Um, and so, and did what I thought would be a couple of years, and then that that turned into uh, ten plus years. So I spent all of my kind of second chapter of my life, the forties um, at McKinsey, doing uh, honestly mainly operations type of work, strategy and operations type of work around the globe. You know, of all shapes and sizes and colors. Um, I, I never dreamed of, you know, it wasn't my dream to be a lifetime consultant. And at a certain point, thought, uh, you know, there's a lot of great great things out there to do and decided I was I was going to uh, leave that and ended up back um, for me back in Silicon Valley. I'd gone to high school here and ended up back in in uh, Silicon Valley in tech. And I was working uh, initially with Yahoo, was with Yahoo for uh, about five years, ended up as chief revenue officer of Yahoo and AOL. Uh, they were bought by Verizon. Um, and then next gig ended up um, with the leadership team here at Facebook. And so that's been my path, you know, three basic chapters, uh, Navy, uh, McKinsey, and then, and then tech. And my, you know, sort of the things that have driven me, um, I'm not necessarily a technologist. So I look forward to our conversation today. I think the metaverse is super interesting. Uh, you know, I'm probably more a practical guy, you know, having done a lot of, a lot of um, operations kind of, you know, knuckle dragon kind of basic, basic stuff. So that's, that's the lens I bring, but I, I do find it super interesting and excited to talk about it. Thanks. And maybe a little color on what you do for Meta um, sort of day to day. I mean, whatever you're able to share would be great for the listeners. Yeah, great, great question. So I lead global operations at at Meta, uh, joined Facebook and now Meta, and which which really means uh, anything in the company where we have 
large scale uh, human type of operations, like you know, a lot of people doing stuff around the globe. And we, we employ directly or indirectly 50,000 people around, around the world. A lot of that is content moderation, Tyler, uh, which is always an interesting topic and probably one sure. we can weave into a little bit here. Um, but tons of other you know, support operations, privacy operations, payment operations, risk operations. So uh, you know, we, we basically have a center of excellence, one, you know, one platform in the company where anytime work like that needs to be done, it, it gets done through the shop. The, the, so to me, um, obviously it touches on my operations background, but it's also a really fun way to, to get a view across the company. And I really enjoy seeing um, all the dimensions of this company um, and uh, incredible leadership team and, and all the different stuff that, that they're working on. So in that way, it's a really fun, you know, just fun kind of catbird seat. It's, a, it's obviously a huge job and, and Facebook has been one of the, the pioneers in tech and, and this sort of transition from Facebook to Meta is kind of, you know, falls right in line with, with the trailblazing nature of the company. You know, I'm not really coming at this um, podcast with, you know, an inside look at, at Meta, if you will, Meta's metaverse. I guess the, the plan and, and really the perspective that I'm going for is sort of, you know, the metaverse as it stands today is this concept that people are talking about. And there's a lot of different opinions about where it's going to go. <clears throat> I don't think that anybody knows. Um, so it's a lot of speculating. And I think that there's a lot of different players that want to shape where it goes with, with Meta being one of those. But really, you know, I think I would, I'd like to start by asking you, you know, I sort of, the idea of Metaverse really hit me when I watched Ready Player One, directed by Ridley Scott. People have heard me say that. And it was like, oh my God. You know, and also to to some embarrassing extent to watching the amount of time that my 18 year old spends playing Fortnite, it's like there these there is going to be some type of alternate reality. And then you you kind of compound that with the announcement that came from from um, Mark uh, Zuckerberg and basically rebranding his firm around this concept. And it's like, oh my God, this thing is here. And so maybe an interesting question to start is. Do you really view the metaverse as just a more immersive video game experience, or do you see it as something that will become a broader a broader part of our lives? Yeah, I think the latter. And by the way, I, I also, again, I'm 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 not necessarily a technologist. I don't spend my life kind of conceptualizing, you know, future technology, science fiction, and where the world will go. Um, you know, so I tend to bring a pretty practical lens to life. But like you, it's been hard to look around and you know not not see the signs of of, of this threshold um, coming upon us. Like Fortnite's a perfect example, and I'll, I too have have kids, and I would say it's you know it's, it's profoundly obvious how much that has become part of their social development, the ability to connect in a virtual environment. Uh, and it's always fun to see how you know I think kids and gaming are really uh, you know important directional indicators as to where where the world's going. Uh, I mean, to your question, I think I think that's the you know that's the dot connection that that um, Mark was uh, trying to do a couple of months ago. Uh, soon, there's been some you know some folks have viewed his his um, you know he, he did a video on this, um, and uh, you know more and more we're seeing the that concept go beyond gaming, and it, it just seems like an inevitability. So 
And I, I think so. I mean, I think that's right. We, we are starting to use products inside the company um, for internal meeting purposes, which are adopting more and more of that, um, you know, that exa exact same technology as if you were lo logging into Fortnite, um, logging into meeting rooms and working with each other through uh, virtual reality. And uh, uh, there's obviously, it, it clearly touched a nerve, Tyler, as well. You know, you just immediately, I, I think I think it's a good indication wherever, you know, you're going to drop the, you know, drop the seed and the amount of conversation, discussion uh, that's picked up behind it. Um, you know, I work here in Silicon Valley, just seeing different business cases, venture capital cases. Um, it immediately, I think, struck a chord in the general, um, in the general mindset of listeners that this is really not that far away and it's worth, you know, it's worth contemplating um, contemplating now. So that's, not, that's a uh, great point really dictating the future, but just highlighting, hey, this is just seems like the next exit on the highway. Absolutely. It's a perfect segue to kind of another question I had, which is why now? This isn't overly yeah. you know, this idea that people are going to leave and, and leave reality and go into I mean, people have been gaming for a long time, but but this idea that there's going to be a virtual world and we can talk a little bit about, you know, VR and AR and all those things. But why now? Why is the metaverse, which has existed conceptually, you know, in the minds of people, you know, whether it's since, you know, the, the book, actually, I think there was a book, Ready Player One, before it was adapted into a movie. So it's existed conceptually, but why is it gaining so much momentum now in, in Silicon Valley and in the tech world? Uh, I wonder if you have a thesis on this. I immediately when you when you ask the question, one word comes to mind, which is COVID and the pandemic. Um, because I, you know, a few years ago, um, yes, like you said, the fiction was out there. Uh, you know, I know for me as a general manager, leader, you know, someone who's worked in business, or, you know, pro professional services consulting, there's so much importance of being in person, being together, and. And I I've always been a, a bit of a skeptic when it comes to uh, people working remotely and would that really work? Um, I think I think so. I think that um, COVID had a had a huge impact in accelerating our notions and breaking preconceptions of what we thought was normal or what we thought was necessary before, into expanding a new mental space as to oh, what could be and what actually does work. Um, I. Not just COVID. I mean, I remember a few years ago, every year at the end of you know the year, we kind of reflect on how the year has changed. I remember it's probably five years ago now, but thinking, wow, holy smokes, just the video presence, the the bandwidth and the ability to do video meetings as opposed to a few years ago when we were all on cell phones and doing messages or conference calls. You know, I think obviously technology seems to have hit a tipping point as well. The capacity of information, broadband, um, uh, you know, I think I think all of those had to be in place as well. Um, so I think you see, and then and then and then commercial successes of things like Fortnite, Epic, um, you know, putting putting games into um, a, the hands of younger people who don't have those social conventions established and locked in. I think I think the three those the confluence of those three things, you know, just all cause the fire to start to to be self-sustaining. That's that's my that's my sense. But I think it's a great question. I think we just hit some some things that are different now. I completely agree with all those. I think that you know internet speed, cellular data, whatever you want to call it, was an input. Um, COVID, I think it just you know poured gasoline on the fire, served as an accelerator. And then I also think you know there's a there's a company up here called Valve and. They're, they're into VR um, and through their, their online platform called Steam, which I don't know, I, I'd assume you're aware of. 
but I went and demoed their um, the VR technology five years ago. And it was certainly breathtaking from the perspective of it's the first time you put on goggles, but you find yourself walking around the room. This was five years ago and you're wearing these enormous goggles and you're tethered to a super expensive computer to, to do all these things. And so I would say also just to add, you know, dovetail on your point that sort of, you know, the breakthroughs in virtual reality that will take, you know, the experience of, of Fortnite um, or, or frankly, and if we take a different application, which is, you know, it's one thing to Zoom a client for Evergreen. I mean, I give a story that we've been pushing people to do virtual meetings prior to COVID forever, saying, like, do you really want to drive here, park in the middle of Christmas time and navigate your way up through two elevator banks? Wouldn't you rather just get on your computer? And people are like, you know, no, I'd rather just come, you know, I'd rather just come and see you. And then COVID completely flipped that. And now, you know, probably 80%, 90% of our client engagement is done via Zooms. But, you know, that's while it's great and it's kind of, you know, a Band-Aid solution, I think that if you've ever um, been in a virtual world, you can start to visualize or imagine that it could be, you know, the virtual meetings could go, could remain, but the experience could be so much more immersive. And so I guess I would just add, you know, the VR developments as a, as a big um, reason why now. I think that's not true. 100%. I think it's a great point. Obviously, there's some there's hardware advances, and you know, in addition, that have really brought us to a different place. Obviously, you know, Fortnite was still a two-dimensional event, you know, kind of pointing in this direction. But it, but isn't it fascinating how mindsets again? I look in the mirror first have changed. I, I just really thought you can't really have a team, you can't really build a culture without it. Um, I, I think Zoom puts us into a new place. I, I'll tell you, we've started to experiment, like I said, with some of these virtual meeting rooms. I think it's freaking cool. Like, and it's just every it's, it's it adds a whole new energy to interacting. It's not I'm not nobody's here to say it should replace or it will replace human contact. And you, I'm sure your company like ours is is struggling with what does the future of work mix look like and how much time in person and under what circumstances and in what domains, what venues. But but boy, the you know the the extent to which metaverse and ARVR can enhance the remote and eliminate the need for a flight and jet lag and flights of stairs and trap is pretty cool. Agreed. And and maybe you could speak to that because I, I imagine a world where Zoom is replaced by a more immersive experience. It sounds like you guys are already doing that. As someone who's been doing virtual meetings, which I'm assuming um, you're not the only company that's doing that. I mean, talk, I mean, because while Zoom's been this amazing kind of, you know, if you will, um, lifeboat that happened to be available at the time when COVID struck. I think that people are still to this day, while Zoom's great, they're like, man, looking at someone on a on a computer screen, you know, and and seeing their kids running around the background or whatever, it's it's cool, but and it's been a lifesaver, but also it would be nice to take that next step. Yeah. And, and I mean it's a step I've only, you know, half started to take so, uh, you know, I'm sure you have listeners who probably are pretty shrewd in dimensions of psychology and behavior psychology. But, you know, here are my here are my observations. By the way, you're right. Zoom, Zoom, you know, just created a bunch of conventions um, and was there more than a life raft. I mean, it's been in many ways, I think, a real plus for, you know, for my organization, our organization in terms of, uh, you know, it, it takes away the inequality of people not physically being there in the city or in the building and, you know, kind of everybody's on the same domain, your name's there, you're, you know, on a screen and 
you know, from a cultural standpoint, a lot of great things have happened because of it, but there are limitations. What happens to me when you put on the on the Oculus and you get into one of these rooms is pretty fascinating. People really do act differently. You really do feel differently. Um, you know, the, you kind of all of a sudden you're in this virtual room, you're around a table, there's positions at the table, everybody has a seat which you can move around and take a seat. There's a whiteboard, you can go up to the whiteboard. When somebody talks to the left, you know, you hear a voice off to the left and you look to the left and there's Peter, you know, and somebody hmm. talks to the right and there's Suva and there's Fabi across the table. It really has a different emotional impact. Um, and, and I will tell you, the, you know, again, I wish I had a meter for it, but the, 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 the emotional engagement meter people have with each other is just a different. It's just different. I, I won't say it's better, but it's different. People, you know, just, there's, a, there's an enthusiasm, an energy, a connection, which doesn't so you know doesn't replace real life but it's it's different than a zoom screen um you know there there are some funny things that happen i find it's almost like a masked party sometimes people are less inhibited <laughs> they get they're just a little funnier and, and and wackier which is which is fun to watch you, you um at least with our technology um the oculus will pick up your hands and so hand gestures become very important in the hmm in the interaction. Uh, what's missing are facial expressions. And that's a real, that's a real, you know, loss. I mean, that you, you don't, you, you get that on zoom and you don't get that in, in, in a virtual right. room, but that's, you know, you can imagine that's a technology that's, that's coming. So, um, but I'll say you get, you get off one of those meetings and it's different than getting off of zoom. It's hmm. all the same. So, I mean, that, that's interesting because there was a Wall Street Journal article that ran a week or two ago, and it was it was similar. It was a CPA firm, so it kind of caught my attention. CPA firm, they bought a, a piece of land, and they're building a digital office where their clients will will come on and and or will join that metaverse. And and obviously, that's a, a good segue to talk about other metaverses, which is, you know, I think that everyone hears about the metaverse as this kind of like umbrella term, but really there's going to be firms tr vying to start their own metaverses. And some of them, you know, I think about it sort of like video games in, in the sense of, you know, you play Fortnite and that that's one example where you go in and you're playing kind of a, you know, an adventure game and, and you're, you're meeting and you're engaging with people. Um, but the other kind of the other much more practical you know, application is people using it as, you know, business substitutes, you know, as ways to engage clients or to have virtual conferences that are a lot more immersive. But there's also this in-between world where, you know, there's a social aspect to it, you know, from whether it's dating or whether it's, um, you know, the, the video game I think a lot about is Grand Theft Auto, where you log into a game or you might be logging into a metaverse to explore things that are not legal in the real world. So, for example, in Grand Theft Auto, you run around and you steal things. And I wonder, maybe from your perspective, you know, you talked about moderation earlier in the call. How do you see some of the, the ethical challenges of if I own a car in the metaverse and someone steals it from me? Who says that they're not allowed to steal? Is that actually a government policy? And there's going to be some agency that's created to, you know, kind of be oversight to the metaverse, or is it going to be company by company um, standard of ethics and, and and those types of things? Yeah, how do I see it with profound importance and interest? I would say, you know, I, I think Mark and highlighting, trying to highlight, hey, this is where the world's going. 
um, it's trying to promote this conversation exactly. And in the 2D world, I mean, this is the world we live in, Tyler, where, you know, um, you know, the meta, our platforms have created a forum for people to connect and you bring people together and you get human behaviors and <laughs> left with a real with a real you know, legitimacy question of what's right and wrong and who should control what's right and wrong. And we've been very clear in trying to invite more government, more involvement, more regulation, more voice, more oversight into um, I mean, there's really a couple of things. One, what ought to be the policies and the regulations for what's right and wrong in this space? And then secondly, how do you enforce it? So in both of those boxes are, um, you know, are, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, just from, in, in general, I think what you're, you know, the way I think that, you know, we see it and I think this is right is, you know, the meta, talking about the metaverse now is probably talking about the Internet in 1997. You know, it's this thing that's coming. Um, it's a broad thing. We don't, it's not, even though the companies, our company's name is Meta, it's not that there's any notion that um, this company owns the metaverse, the universe, the, you know, and all the technology, but but a recognition that um, it's going to be a, a stitch together of, of many, you know, domains yet to be created. Um, the interoperability um, and all the, the tools to make that work are the things that, you know, probably are going to be most pressing and still to be figured out. Um, but to your point within them, there's going to be problems with human behavior. Anytime you bring in a lot of humans into a space, you get all the motivations that go along with it. And uh, there's a sense here in our company that, for, first of all, I would say, at this company, I would say, just, just a plug, you know, the notion of um, the values of this company and the pursuit of safety on our platform is is a North Star every single day for so many people that are here. And we live every day in this two-dimensional version of the question you're asking. And so it, the extrapolation forward, um, it's not hard to see. This is going to be this is going to be very difficult. Um, but I think it can, you know, I think it, it, it can be um, it can be accomplished um, in the same ways that you said. I, I bet it will involve some amount of um, first of all, differential policies across different sites. I mean, if you want to go into a metaverse in certain spaces, you know, going to Vegas or whatever, you know, uh, there's gambling or whatever. Grand Theft Auto, you know, there's there's going to be different tolerance levels, different norms, probably in different parts of the metaverse, whatever that location would be. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and therefore the enforcement will have to be different. The enforcement's very interesting. In some ways, I think the enforcement is hard because it's so real and in other other ways i just wonder if it may not in some you know uh, be be easier um because of kind of the digital record and the digital you know the, the digital footprints that we all leave in the in the work that we do which are not always true in the in the physical world um authenticity strikes me as a real challenge we really you know it's one of the reasons why mark with facebook very early wanted this platform to be one where people are authentic Yes, we know that people make up fake accounts, but for the most part, the expectation, the social norm here is that you are who you say you are. And if we find out you're not, your, your account gets closed. But, you know, um, as opposed to other platforms where, you know, you can you can be a disguise or inauthentic. Um, so, I, you know, it strikes me that that is going to be a key, you know, a key factor. Um, the enforcement will be difficult, again, just as it is for police and government in the real real world and it's something we're i guess to say we'll have to figure out together
Yeah, I think that it's super fascinating. And I agree with you that there's going to be, you know, worlds with different, you know, I mean, if you're, you would assume, I think most parents assume that when their kid logs in to play Fortnite, that they're going to be playing with their friends, they're going to be playing a video game. I don't think that a lot of parents in that experience of the metaverse, that the parents, you know, worry all that much, but certainly as it proliferates and there's different metaverses with, you know, people seeking different types of experiences, it becomes a complete, I mean, basically in my mind, it becomes a mess in terms of who's enforcing this and, and who's watching all these things, um, which, which sort of is a good transition to another thing, which is, you know, I think that one of the things that's a challenge, and you talked about having kids who play Fortnite, you talk about them using Fortnite as a social tool or a way to engage with people or an escape or whatever you want to say it. And it reminds me a little bit of when my parents used to tell me that if I sat too close to the TV, I'd go blind, right? You know, you kind of, you watch people and and especially the older generation, call it, you know, people in their 60s and older, and you start telling them about the metaverse and they start saying things to the effect of, oh my God, this is just, this is the millennials trying to escape the real world and they don't want to work hard to, you know, go to you know, whatever the Maldives. So they're just going to experience it digitally. I think that I just think that there's an interesting, you know, and, and to to compound that, there's a socioeconomic gap that's already, you know, that's well acknowledged in America. And I think that if as that gap grows, I think there's more and more people that want to go and put on a headset, escape reality, go find an online group of friends, and and do experiences that either they can't afford or meet people, you know, that they can't, you know, that they like that are in other countries or whatever. And where I'm really going with this is like, how do you view this? Do you view this as this really dangerous, you know, you know, the genie's let out of the bottle and we can't put it back in and what are we creating? And are we giving kids and people these, this alternate world to escape into and, and really not deal with reality? Or is this really, a giant positive where somebody who, you know, might not have a good group of friends at their school and feel bullied can go online into some specific, you know, hobby, you know, into some whatever, some forum where they can talk about a hobby that they have that's pretty esoteric. Like, do you view it as negative or do you view it as positive? Because, I mean, the, the reactions I hear from people are pretty wide, wide spanning. Yeah, they really are. It's fun. To, it's, it's, it's super interesting to hear how people uh, react to and think about these things. And again, it's not like I'm, uh, you know, uh, holding a futurist sign or futurist label um, and say, hey, we all need to go over there. Um, but here, here's here's a few thoughts. I, I've just been super interested since being in, in Silicon Valley, especially at Meta, where I, I just think Mark and, you know, our product leaders do a great job at um, looking ahead to, you know, um, people's needs to connect. Um I'm more in the latter. I'm more in the latter. You know, one thing that's funny is, you know, if you really look back through, you know, the annals of history and the human reaction to technology, there is a pretty consistent pattern here, Tyler, that you're describing, whether it's whether it's the metaverse or the Internet or Fortnite or television or radio or bicycles. You can find old articles where people were bemoaning the impact that bicycles were going to have. Or, hmm. uh, you know, it's just people react to technology with a fear, with a trepidation, with a concern. I think there's some amount of human nature there. And at the same time, my my sense is, however, um, you know, human beings have a, a fairly, you know, fundamental and first order desire to connect and to experience 
um, just to empathize, to love, to, you know, just to, you know, be with other human beings. And it's, 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 um, it's very deep, you know, and, and any opportunity that affords that, you know, iPhones, I mean, any opportunity that affords that for the most part, there's a reason why, uh, you know, people move in that direction and they get great things from it. The amount of connectivity that folk, that, that, that folks have from being connected, you know, while we all, you know, are, are anxious and cons- concerned about these things, you know, find someone and tell them to give back their iPhone, you know, or, right. or, you know, shut down their, their, you know, people I know shut down their, you know, social media accounts. But, but for the most part, you know, that doesn't, doesn't get a lot of momentum because people get real human value from those things. Um, we tend to think about the press tends to write about, you know, the problems and they are there. You and I are parents. So, you know, we all worry about, about our kids. It's probably you know, problems and concern number one. But but by and large, my ledger is that the amount of human benefit from these things is super, super high. The amount of things that we can do to connect with each other. Um, and, and that's a beautiful thing for someone who, um, you know, is along in age and wants to get to a different part of the country or in a world or meet people, you know, with different backgrounds. You know, it's incredible to afford this opportunity or reconnect with people from earlier in their life. None of that, you know, you know, was possible before these technologies. And I think it has real overall massive benefit. It comes with problems that we continue to have to look forward at, you know, mitigate and design for. And, and that looking forward, I think, is exactly why Mark was trying to be up front with the, the metaverse vision. I agree with you that the benefits of technology far outweigh um, the, the drawbacks. Um, though, you know, I think it's definitely, you know, my generation is is viewpoint of that is more tolerant than the generation above me and the generation below me is even more tolerant and used to it. I mean, you know, I mean, this generation of kids grew up with iPads. They know what FaceTime is. And I was thinking, you know, to your point about connectivity, you think about all the grandparents in COVID who, you know, would have had a phone call at best 20 years ago and today they're able to get online and facetime their grandkids or their kids and i think that there's a lot of wonderful things but it does the one thing that i think where i think where i look at the metaverse is a little bit of a break um in terms of, of technological experience or progress is around the the idea of persistence or you know when you go on the internet you log on you search for something and then you sign off your computer and you go whatever, go for a jog or whatever. Um, or, you know, maybe you log into email, respond to an email and then you sign off. But you get the sense that or TV, right? You watch a show or a game, you turn it off, right? Like there's this idea that technology is this thing that you turn on and you turn off. But I think that where what I see and, and be interested in your opinion, when you look at the metaverse, you get this feeling and maybe you know social media w- was the first kind of step along this path, but you get the idea that that it, it's about creating a persistent world, right? A, a experience where you don't log in for an hour or two. You might spend the bulk of your day there. Like, what do you, what do you do? You see the persistence, and 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 it will be broad, right? If there are a bunch of things, you work in the metaverse, you socialize in the metaverse, you game in the metaverse. I mean, you go through those things, and you're like. That's like, what's left. you know, for most, that's, that's a lot. What's left, right? You're sleeping in the metaverse. <laughs> right. Um, no, I, I think it's a great question. I, I don't have a good answer. It's funny, um, you're initially kind of speaking to the question, 
it didn't stir anxiety for me. I do think technology, you know, the binary nature that you're describing, TV on, off, radio on, off, internet on, off, um, you know, you're in or you're out. I, th- I, think, that's a, I think that's an astute observation. Um, I do think technology will continue. Listen, to some extent, technology has already watered that down. It used to be that you could only be on your email if you were sitting at your computer, you know, and that was if only if you were plugged into a wall. Well, right. you know, then now we have Wi-Fi and now you have mobile phones and everything's, you know, it's just, it's, it's, you know, the direction is going there. And, you know, I would say to the extent that line has already moved, I think we've, you know, we've discovered a, a comfort level with it. I, I do think there's a, you know, where I get to is that fundamental question that we all struggle with with our kids. What is the time to turn it off? When is the time to put it down? Are we going to lose genetically and behaviorally the ability to turn it off, which I think we all cling to the need that, you know, we need to be able to turn it off and live real life. And, you know, I feel that way as well. I think the most profoundly important, you know, hour of my day today was swimming, you know, when I'm no headphones, nothing, and I'm in the water and I'm here in the water and I'm in, you know, I'm having a physical experience. And, you know, I want, you know, I want the same for my my kids. But um, so I, I agree with that. I agree with that angst and concern. Um, and I don't have a, a clear answer for it. Yeah, I mean, I, just, I think I we're just, already living in that, too. I think we're already living in that, Tyler. Like, it's like I think that threshold we're, you know, we've already crossed to some extent. In some way, are you or is your generation, my generation, the last of the Mohicans where we're like, hey, going out and playing Pebble Beach Golf Course or going for a swim in the ocean? These are real experiences. This is the most rich thing in the world. And are we are we out to lunch and just not getting it? And our kids are like, you guys are like, you know, you guys are living in the age of the telegraph, right? Thinking this way, whereas they say you're missing. Look, I mean, you can do so many things that are so much cooler in the metaverse. You can meet more people. You can go into a forum with someone in a completely different country that doesn't speak your language. And like all of a sudden you're you're interacting with them, you know, through translation. Like are 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 we the old fuddy duddies? <laughs> I, I I don't know. <laughs> You know, two guys who don't know anything kicking this topic around. Um, I was a super interesting topic, and I wonder what different people think. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I have a, you know, maybe it's one of these. So here's a theory that you know, like like humans have an insatiable desire to be connected one to one another and be to the world and to nature to some extent. I think to, you know, that's why life imitates art imitates life. Um, and you know, that's what we point to is what we paint. It's what we write poems about. And I think that's there's a human desire for that. It feels to me almost universal. If you ask somebody to you know, shut your eyes and picture a piece of place, place of peace, you know, it's almost always a, something in nature and in the real world. So I'd like to think that's a flame that can't be snubbed, and it will, you know, continue to burn. And you know, maybe in some way, to your point earlier, it could even be enhanced. Um, one of the cool things that you know happens with Oculus and VR is you know using it for mental health purposes and helping people to f- discover that or get to that if they can. But I think you know the cool thing is the needle's all pointing there, and my sen- my hope is that we'll never we're not going to be the last of the Mohicans that that'll that'll burn. It's certainly fascinating to think about because I bet you that there's people listening and saying you know. For a lot of people, and I mean, you have to also credit, you know, the the deflationary nature of technology, which makes these, you know, which is over time. I mean, I'll never forget. We can all think of things in our lives that used to be super expensive that have come down in price. Oculus is one of them. But I think that there's people out there that are listening saying, yeah, but for the average person, this is what's going to allow them to unlock experiences. 
and to see places, right, that they couldn't, they could never afford to see. And so there's so many benefits. And I think that's just a debate that's going to rage because I do think that to your to your point that above all else, people crave, in my opinion, they crave connectivity. And and this is just an, a, a more rich way for I mean, let's be honest, it, it's basically social media on steroids in a lot of ways. I mean, not not in every way. There's other applications, but in a lot of ways. And so it's a, certainly an interesting debate. But I, I maybe we shifted a little bit to kind of how you see companies going about creating metaverses and are they democratic free economies or do you see them being um, very controlled? I mean, I, I pick like Apple in the app store, like Apple's incredibly like closed system, right? And then there's other um, technologies out there that think that there should be no owner of anything, right? No one should own the internet. And it's been a big debate. How do you see and I mean, maybe the answer is as usual. I mean, this is my opinion, and but I'm just kicking a lot of things your direction, which is, you know, the, it seems like by the time the government is ready to start taking a stance on how they want to regulate it, it'll already be built. And so I guess, how do you see that, you know, how do you see that developing? Uh, you're blowing my mind with the question. I think it's a really good one um, because we live this here and you know, the, again, I'll just say these are my opinions, not not Meta's, not our companies, not our leadership, anything. Um, I do think that it 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 again, as as our existing social media platforms are already do tug at the you know question of jurisdiction, government control, et cetera. You know, we we want um, government uh, involvement, for example, in the two dimensional version of our connectivity platform, Facebook or Instagram, and it's tough to get the government to respond quickly enough, you know, to these technologies. Um, there's also a sense that these platforms, and you can imagine domains in the metaverse, are going to become, you know, they're going to be, they're going to, they're going to cut across national borders. You know, our whole system of countries is based on these land lines, you know, these, which which become mm -hmm. less and less meaningful. Are, are you know, I, I think I've heard this, you know, some argue, you know, the, the, the um, you know, already in social media, like the leaders of social media companies become more important than political offices that are held because those domains, those leaders are going to be around longer, more than a four year term or any constraint. So you, you, you fundamentally blow up time and space dimensions on which our government and our you know regulatory environments actually <laughs> operate and have for mm -hmm. you know forever and and it's a very interesting question I, I i i don't know i don't know i really don't know but i would you know kind of raise the flag that we've raised before which is you know we need the government to think with us to think ahead um on how these things ought to be governed and um you know what policies ought to ought to be in place and and how to enforce upon them so I'm not even now. I forget your question exactly, but I just think it points in a really important direction, which is how do govern? How, you know, how does technology interface with with our existing structures of government, with our which are you know operate on just totally different cycle clock cycle. Exactly, and I think you guys are you guys are already tackling that. And I think basically, I agree with you. I think that the answer is going to be that that it's going to be left to the companies to make their own you know policies, rules, and procedures. Because by the time they wait for, if you try and wait for the government you'll, you know, the race will pass you by. So it's going to be fascinating to watch. I guess I'd maybe leave you with one question because a lot of people who are listening to this, I think, um, 
or a lot of people that think about the metaverse don't just think about it in terms of a gaming platform or an enhanced work platform or socializing platform. They think it as an economic platform and a way to make money. You know, there's there's certain meta, certain metaverses out there, like there's one called Decentraland, where I think they have the highest recorded property sale ever. It's like a million dollars for some block in the metaverse. Regardless, it doesn't matter. People are spending money in the metaverse. And frankly, I, this is not all that new. People have been spending money on Fortnite, buying different avatars, and people have been, you know, buying skins in different games. So spending money in the digital world isn't isn't that new, but what is new is the size of the is the size of the checks that are being written and people that are thinking, hey, this is the next gold rush and I'm gonna go buy XYZ piece of land in Decentraland. And I know that that's gonna be the equivalent of buying Manhattan in New York, you know, 200 years ago. Times and square. people are definitely, yeah, Times Square. People are, people are viewing this as a, you know, a land grab, a gold rush and, um, let's just skip the part where they get it right and they bet on the right metaverse and the metaverse exists and they did buy a very valuable thing in the metaverse. You know, as someone in your perspective, how much money would you really be comfortable in terms of asset accumulation, land, building a virtual building? How much money would you have faith in, in you know, basically, quote, being digital and, and the idea that you log on one day and it's, I mean, and it's it's gone or um you know it's Wait, been so hacked are you asking or... me for investment advice here <laughs> no i don't know maybe maybe i am <laughs> how much do you try how much do you trust exists you know having significant digital assets in a cyber world that's the simple question i i don't think that's a hard thing to think through it's a speculative speculative land you know grabbing uh you know when the mid midwest was settled you know and the government opened up you know, the railroad companies opened up land, you know, people tried to market the stuff. They were selling, you know, the new utopia in Kansas and Nevada. And but but just to chime in, there was only there was only one Kansas, right? There was only one Manhattan in the metaverse. There's multiple different versions. So you have an issue with scarcity is one one point. And the second one is if you own the land in Kansas, aside from someone riding up and shooting you and taking it, it was your land. In the metaverse, do you worry that like one day, you know, you log in and it says, oh, we've been hacked. Everything that you had in the metaverse is now gone. Like, do you, yeah. would that bother you? Yeah, I, but I think that you can find speculative analogs to all those things in the, you know, so in the West, I didn't mean to go run hard on that, on that uh, analog. But, you know, the other thing I compare it to is having been at Yahoo where, uh, you know, I mean, Yahoo was an advertising business. People wanted their brands to be where the eyes were on the homepage. You could buy a homepage. You could buy it for a day or a week or a month, and, you know, you pay different figures. And, and if you want to buy it further out in the future, you might pay a discount. If you want to buy it for next week, you're going to pay more for it, you know. And so, um, you know, the notion of buying that property to me is just buying, you know, presence where people think there's going to be commerce and there's going to be, you know, there's going to be commercial opportunities. So, that's the way I kind of process. I, th I thought that those articles about uh, Decentraland, you know, super, super interesting sandbox. Um, I think we'll continue to see more, more of them. Um, and how much would I be willing to pay? Uh, you know, I think it's just a probability weighted, you know, risk equation, which says, boy, if you know, there's a 10% chance that they get, you know, 10 million eyeballs a day, and that would be worth X to me. And I guess that's my thinking about that. I, I think that 
you know, that's that's how I, 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 I kind of process that. That's interesting. I mean, I think about you, you framed it in the sense of, hey, would you be up, would you be, you know, if you bought www.espn before ESPN bought WWSPN, you're a gigantic winner and they're going to have to buy it from you. And you view it as very much like, uh, you know, hey, look, people have been buying domains, you know, buying land and Decentraland is just essentially buying a domain in a metaverse. I think that's one way to look at it. I think the, the flip side is we hear a lot about this in the crypto world where people are worried that if they deploy too much money into crypto, that one day you wake up and your crypto is just gone. And there is no way you know, for the average, you know, the average person to get it back. If someone's, and I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not an expert on cybersecurity. I can just more back into this is if you were to tell me how much money would I be willing to put in crypto, I, I factor in two things. One is the sustainability of the cryptocurrency itself. Like, is this a viable long-term, you know, digital asset? Um, and then second is what's the security around it and I find them both to be questions that are above my pay grade. I don't know what's going to exist, you know, 20 years from now, which cryptocurrency survives, which one doesn't. And second, I really don't know how to analyze the threat of like I log in and some group of, well, you know, Eastern European hackers have taken my $100,000. Is the government really going to help me get that back? Yeah, I, I, that's 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 very real risk. It's, it's That's why it's speculation. And so your discount factor uh, you know, sounds like it'd be pr pretty high, um, but something's <laughs> going to happen between now and then that my, you know, that this stake of land is not, or, you know, virtual space is not going to be worth much. So I, I, I think that's very real. And, and, you know, the answer to my personal question, I'm, I'm not going to be buying real estate in the metaverse anytime soon, but, you know, you can imagine, you know, I don't know, even the numbers that were thrown about, they're like, this is more than the cost of a, you know, of, of a house today, a home, honestly, you know, if you're a big brand, why not put a few hundred grand or a million dollars? If somebody's building what they think is going to be the, the central lands and the future Disneyland into in a, you know, Southern California field, that's not been cultivated, you know, maybe you, you would take a shot. Might, might be, might be worth something someday. I think it's fascinating. I think you're exactly right. I, I, you know, I, I find myself, you know, the more you talk, I find myself asking the question of, it, you know, there's, is, is it a risk? Sure. But is it a risk that you're, that you can afford not to take, right? Like, if yeah. I look back and say, why did we not establish a virtual office? Like, you obviously know that you're going to be meeting with clients virtually in 5, 10, 15 years, you're going to need a presence. So like, at what point do you stop sitting on the sidelines and just say, okay, this is coming? I mean, it's sort of like fighting, you know, you know, remember how everybody would say it's crazy that you're paying what people were paying for domain names on GoDaddy or whatever. And now yes. who's laughing? Right. Yeah. And, you know, you have somebody I think it's a fascinating business model. Somebody's out there, start, you know, and there's a momentum to it. Once they sign enough people up, there's it's become self-sustaining. You know, if they have enough commitments, then, you know, it becomes less and less of a long shot, more and more of an inevitability that their land sandbox or the central land or whatever else is going to be a place where people will show up. It may not be the biggest place ever, but you know, it's an interesting venture. And again, not unlike, not unlike to me, you know, things either in the internet space or in the physical realm and in, in years past. So yeah, for some, can you afford not to? I think it's a good way to, good way to say it. Well, um, I want to say on behalf of our listeners that, you know, I know that they're, um, 
completely euphoric to hear somebody with credibility and knowledge talking about these things as opposed to me just speculating. So I, I appreciate you taking the time to come on with us. Um, I hope that I see you um, in the real world before I see you in the metaverse. Um, but thanks oh, for yeah. coming on. And uh, I'm go playing golf with my Oculus. It's, it's actually pretty, it's, really? not, it's not like the real world, but it's worth trying. So plug for that. Huh. And thank cool. you for the, thank you for the comments. I don't know that I have any kind of expertise above and beyond yours. Maybe think about this stuff a few minutes more a day, but really appreciate the conversation. Super fun and appreciate the podcast and uh, the work you guys do. Thanks, John. We'll be in touch. See you soon, bud. Great. Take care. Evergreen GovCal is a wealth management firm with offices in Bellevue, Washington, Portland, Oregon, and California's Bay Area. We provide investment management, tax compliance, family office, and retirement planning services. Evergreen is accepting applications for new clients who align with our firm's investment and planning approach. If you think you might be a fit with us, follow the link in the show notes to fill out our prospective client compatibility survey.